With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Gigabit Nation Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank everyone in the audience today for taking time to be with us. Our mission, as always, is to provide information to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get faster, better broadband everywhere it needs to be in America. Today, I am, we are, broadcasting from the, um, the Shelby, for short, conference. This is the uh, annual conference which brings together lots of folks who are involved with um, with various uh, broadband stimulus uh, projects. And the, the whole conference really is about bringing people together and exchanging stories and ideas and successes and challenges. And we're also, you know, looking at how far we've come since uh, the broadband stimulus started about, uh, oh, uh, a couple of years ago, 2010. And it's been really interesting to listen to some of the uh, the success stories to see that actually this investment has played out very well uh, for a lot of communities. And so we're uh, going to kick off this show because we'll be talking to several um, broadband stimulus uh, uh, winners here at the um, at the show today. Leading off our show from the wonderful state of Wisconsin uh, is uh, Maria Alvarez Shroud. And she is the director at the Center for uh, Community Technology Solutions. Uh, Maria, welcome to the show. Thank you. And it's a pleasure having you uh, having you on the show. Uh, we've had a couple of people actually from uh, your your project on over the the past year, and you and I have uh, uh, met at a couple of conferences, and we spoke in uh, Wisconsin. Let's jump right in and and give us an overview of what was your uh, particular project. Well, we had the pleasure, and I can actually say pleasure mostly, <laughs> <laughs> of, of getting two different grants. One, um, one was for the infrastructure, where we are successfully putting about 650 miles of, uh, of fiber into the ground, as well as doing a Wi-Fi um, network. And we only have about 60 miles left of that, which is, uh, you know, it feels like we've come a long way on that. Um, and you know, I can tell you much more about that uh, journey <laughs> if you'd like. Um, the other grant that we received was uh, the SBA grant, and that actually is a grant that was completed the end of March. Um, and so we're in closeout. And you know, I could give you lots of numbers on all of the, the kind of work that we did, but in both, we really uh, were working with demonstration communities, looking at one particular model. I, I know you, you know that model; it's a community area mm-hmm. network. Model. It's uh, Wisconsin's one of the states that has um, some laws that make it illegal to have municipally owned um, networks. So this is the Wisconsin version. It's working very, very well. We uh, the work that we were um, teaching other three other communities on how to create community area networks. And just really quickly, that means really a coalition of different anchor institutions that came together. And in this particular uh, model that we were working off of, 
it was around Y2K. We all we all thought everything was going to crash and burn, if you recall. <laughs> um, didn't right. happen, but all those IT guys said, you know, we got something here. We all have similar needs. We all use similar applications. You know, what what kind of what kind of fiber do you own, you own? What do you have? They all just combined um, their strengths, and now today have over 200 miles of fiber that they um, jointly manage through this community area network. So we've really taught that to the other four communities. Mm -hmm. And then with our, um, you know, I call it the one-two punch in a lot of ways because I I hear stories about now um, SBA projects who are trying to find different providers to work with and trying to connect to the to the fiber projects. And mm-hmm. For us, we built in this idea of we're going to work hand and glove all the way. We put boots on the ground in the five demonstration communities that we um, that we were working with. And even for the model organization, what we've um, discovered is they never thought about the education, outreach, community engagement element of things. In fact, they really worked on staying under the radar screen in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um is that a good or a bad thing? For the time, it was a good thing. Okay. But I think timing was right for them to, I'll say, kind of come out mm-hmm. of, what, of what they were doing. Um, now they have strong legislative support. They have additional partners. They have new CAIs because of our educational outreach effort that have come to them and said, hey, we, you know, can we buy into this? Um, and not buy in as in they have to have cash, but can we can we get involved in this? And so it's... It's been a really good thing to have both of those projects um, happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. So what would you show or start off with as the big win for each of those projects? What's the, the high point Well, well so far? Yeah, well, one, um, I think because we did the community outreach while the fiber was being you know, planned and before it was put in, we we know that there is a populace that's better educated. Um, you know that whole premise of building it will come and they'll come. We all know that's not true. Mm-hmm. Now what we're seeing is the subscribership. Once the fiber is going in, we have other anchor institutions who are wanting to be joining that community area network. We also have been working with so many different targeted groups and you know every community has played this differently mm-hmm. um you know in Wausau Wisconsin they really f- uh, focus on lower income and the Hmong and so <laughs> you know we in uh, the Hmong are getting are are getting digitally um you know trained mm-hmm. so that they know now how to use the computers they know why it's important to be on the internet what they can get how that's going to really benefit from them so it, again it, it it looks a little differently in every community, but what we know is we we've I'll call it we've increased you know expend in a huge way the um, number of people who I would say our our circle of influence has just tripled, um, and and that's in every community. We started mm-hmm. out with 180 partners. Um, and, wow. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and so when I say it's grown so so um, large, that's wonderful when you're thinking about these very rural communities. We now have mayors that are engaged. Um, and how do we know that? Because we're now going on and doing listening sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, with all those communities, you know, we focused on these five different areas of the state. We continually got requests of, hey, you know, what about us? You know, mm-hmm. can you come do something for us? Now we're doing that and we're um, we're realizing there's county board supervisors who know what they're talking about. 
Um, there's providers who are more willing to talk, and especially when they know that the community is getting educated about what mm-hmm. what it is they're talking about. So mm-hmm. it's I, I feel like we've turned a corner in Wisconsin, which is a really wonderful thing to say. Mm-hmm. Now you said you started with 100 or 180. 180. Part- 180 partners, and then and when, what kinds of partners? You know, we had um, we had libraries, we had schools, we had um, and, and you know partners in the sense that. You, for this grant, you, you could not be counted as a partner unless you did put some money into mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have additional people that um, were just collaborators. Um, so schools, libraries, hospitals um, were a big part of it in, in the um, Chippewa Valley area, for example. Um, uh, city governments, um, UW extensions throughout all of the, the different communities, as well as university um, just universities throughout the state, um, technical colleges. You know, I, I, if mm-hmm. you name, if you went through the list of what they were hoping for for the BTOP grants, mm-hmm. I think we pretty much mirrored it. Mm-hmm. Now, by um, all standards, have have these projects been rated a success? Um, let, let's talk about the SBA project, the, the sustainable broadband. I, I feel like it, all of them were very, very successful, and they were also different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, up in Superior, Wisconsin, it was the schools that took the lead, and there they focused first on the, the students and the teachers, then they focused on the, the parents, then they focused on the community. They did a technology fair where, again, this is Superior. It's not that big of a community. Mm-hmm. 350 people showed up for this technology fair to learn more because they knew it was an important mm-hmm. thing. So, um so again, success looked, looks different in each one. In, in Platteville, um, we worked with the library there and, and got them computers and whatnot for a lab. They're continuing that work, and they can they they regularly fill up those classes all the time. Mm-hmm. So um, on the SBA side, it's been very very successful. On the CCI, the the um, other project, I it, it's it is going to be successful. I think uh, you know I mentioned the journey has been an interesting one. Mm-hmm. A lot of pushback. By private providers, even though we had a, a, a private provider as a partner, a public-private partnership. Um, you know what we know, though, is we're going to be successful in putting the um, the infrastructure in the ground. We also know that even though we've gotten the pushback, what that did was really increase the urgency as well as the partnerships, which is partly why the, it, it just kept growing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we couldn't have we couldn't have planned that one better. Right. So in a lot of ways, that made it a lot stronger. Mm-hmm. Cool. So what's uh, what do you see next? Uh, the adoption programs are uh, obviously you know there's much momentum around those. What does that look like in a year? Do you think? Um, in a year, I think we're really focusing on the human capital part of this. I mean, I. You know, we were both at that conference where I think it was the mayor from Kansas who said, you know, one of his learnings going for the Google grant and now doing doing that is that it's 80% sociology, 20% <laughs> um, infrastructure. I, I really agree with that. Mm-hmm. So we're really going to be focusing on building that local stakeholder um, leadership that's really required um, and really help them. I, I know that you're a believer in this as well, of, um, help them focus on the one thing they want to tackle. Mm-hmm. You know, they get these communities can get overwhelmed. They don't know where to start. They see all of the issues. Um, you know, we're we're going to be doing these listening se- sessions. I guess in a year, what we're going to be doing is helping them decide what's 
what's the thing that they're going to be doing, and hopefully they'll be be doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, we're uh, this next week we have a, a boot camp. We're calling it the high speed um, broadband boot camp, where we're realizing we can't just help communities build capacity. We have to help our organization build capacity. So we are training um, 28 folks who are again people who are uh, in these different communities around around the state you know we're we're in every county of the state which is 72 counties mm-hmm. so 26 more people will be out there who are going to be well versed giving some additional funding for them uh, for some of them to then do projects in their communities so mm-hmm. i think we're uh, you know we're testing that we're going to be working with um the first net folks in Wisconsin doing mm-hmm. their education and outreach so, you know, we're going to be around. I think mm-hmm. we've got the commitment from the university. Um, and I, You know, knowing that university extensions are around the country, I, I don't think, you know, they haven't been engaged in this whole endeavor around the country. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are pockets that have been really good. I would just say that they are a resource that needs to be pulled into this mm-hmm. because, again, it's that lake, uh, local stakeholder that they have ties with. Mm-hmm. They're trusted ent- entities. They know those communities well. So they should be pulled in. This uh, brings up a question that has come up both at the Broadband Summit in Dallas and here, uh, and there are other other state coordinators who said the, the big issue is um, you, you go into town, you give them a good presentation, you get everybody psyched, and then you leave. And yeah. then about three days later, it starts to sink in how much work there is, and all of a sudden, you know, they, they're, they're, it's hard to keep that momentum going. Mm-hmm. What, what are, you know, at least one, maybe two solutions? And I guess that would probably be our last uh, question. But how do you, once you you've shown them the light and you've got them all motivated, how do you keep that going as you know, as a state coordinating body, and you got all these out, you know, communities out there? Yeah, I think that's when I say you got to have that local stakeholder. So before we do those listening sessions. We really spend a lot of time with a couple of people, and what we've learned is it's better to have more than one, um, who are willing and wanting to take take an action step um, and are saying, yep, we see this as important. So an example of that is we have a local foundation um, who has done some work in the area of broadband before, combined with the, the county agent for UW Extension. And they are they know they're gonna do a listing session, they're hand picking people, and in this particular stance, you know, we're not even doing the presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm there I'm gonna be there as a resource. They're running the show and so that they they can literally be seen as a leader already rather than us coming in looking like we're the experts and you guys don't know, you know, mm-hmm. know anything. So I think that's one thing that we're um we're we're still trying to figure that one out. But in a lot of ways, we know it. We can't be in the forefront on this. We have to. We have to be behind the scenes mm-hmm. with that local whoever entity. And I think it can be anybody. You know, in Three Lakes, it was the town chairperson. Um, in um, you know, as I said, it's a it's a foundation and a county um, person that works for extension and another. We're working with another um, community where it's the librarian from from the library. So. Mm-hmm. It, but it has to be some entity that's wanting to take it a little bit further. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad to get this additional insight into Wisconsin. I have been following you guys and cheering you folks on for a 
long time. I, uh, you know, I went, I went to, to Cal and USC, so I have those fight songs. But I can always now add on Wisconsin to my repertoire of, of, of college fight songs that I will gladly sing. So. I, I think that's great. <laughs> and you're welcome in Wisconsin anytime. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks. All right, have a good day. All right, bye-bye. All right, take care. So there you get a good overview of what's happening with the um, with the Wisconsin project. Now we're going to shift the focus a little further afield, and we're going to the islands. To be specific, we're going to the Virgin Islands. Uh, probably folks didn't realize, but the U.S. Virgin Islands actually was a uh, one of the um, grant. Uh, winners of a, uh, of a broadband stimulus grant, and uh, I think the joke that went around for a while is that they deliver all of the fiber for the project at one time, and half the island sort of tilted. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if that's true or not, but I have the man on board who would actually know this for sure. I've got the uh, vice president of sales and marketing for the uh, Virgin Island Next Generation Network, Kevin Hughes. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Craig. It's a pleasure <laughs> to be here. No worries. This was kind of, you know, we just met at the uh, at the reception last night, but I said, you know, Jim Baller, you know, interceded and said, you know, you got to get to know these folks. And uh, I know that I have read about your project, but tell us, what, uh, number one, did the island, you know, tilt to the side when the fiber got delivered? <laughs> No, the, the, island, the island didn't tilt to the side. But I got to tell you, though, the, the islands have been um, abuzz uh-huh. with all of the excitement and, and energy that uh, has come about as a result of, uh, you know, the Virgin Islands uh, receiving the, the grants, uh, mm-hmm. the VTOP awards. And, of course, the big uh, fiber optic uh, buildup. Uh, mm-hmm. that we're currently doing right now. But before I even get into that, I just wanted to bring a sunny Virgin Islands welcome uh, to you and your <laughs> listeners uh, from our governor. Thank uh, you very much. The Honorable John DeYoung, Jr., uh-huh. uh, governor of the United States Virgin Islands, and, of course, the CEO of the Virgin Isles Next Generation Network, uh, Mr. Lawrence Kupfer, Excellent. Uh, my boss. Uh-huh. And... Um, I just wanted to say that it's it's such a pleasure for us, you know, in the Virgin Islands to come up here and <laughs> uh, here in the, our nation's capital and then sort of hang out for and, a little bit and, and tell the story. Well, conduct business as mm-hmm. it were, mm-hmm. but it's it's really such a great thing to get to meet fellow uh, BTOP uh, awardees and really uh, share information, which I think has been really the highlight mm-hmm. uh, of this conference. Mm-hmm. Cool deal. So. Just a little bit about us, uh, the Virgin Isles Next Generation Network was established in 2010 as a public corporation, and it's a wholly owned subsidiary of the Virgin Islands Public Finance Authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, VINGN is funded primarily through the four grants uh, that we received, um, and we are, in addition to uh, local matching funds that we also receive from the, the Virgin mm-hmm. Islands government as well. And we really have a, a seasoned team on board that is helping to administrate all four of the grants. Okay. Mm-hmm. On the CCI side, the build-out is almost done. We're almost uh, 85% uh, completed with regards to the trenching mm-hmm. and the laying of the fiber optic uh, cable. Uh, so, of course, you know, traffic is a bit tight. It is a little bit here and there. <laughs> but like I always tell folks, you know, it's a little bit of an inconvenience right now, 
but long run, in the long run, it's going to be a benefit to all residents of, of the territory mm -hmm. with uh, the resulting speed and reliability that they will be able to get from uh, their providers who are taking service from VINGN as a wholesale middle mile provider. Mm -hmm. with, I'm sorry. No, no, I was just going to say, so now there are four... There are four projects. So one was an infrastructure build out. Right. Then we we and and that's the the other thing. We received all four of the grants. So okay. we received the CCI grant. Okay. The PCC. That's computing centers. SBA grant. Okay. And also the SBI grant, which uh, you know many people don't talk. We were actually talking a little <laughs> bit about that last night. Oh right, right, exactly. But but that's the smaller of mm -hmm, the grant. Mm -hmm. And but uh, the bottom line is the Virgin Islands was the recipient of all four grants. Right. And um, we are just uh, so very uh, happy and pleased and thankful mm -hmm. uh, to be in that position. Now, has the adoption project basically the geared has been geared toward Building the subscriber base for the for the infrastructure project once that's finished. I mean, they're kind of like considered hand in hand. Well, yeah, yeah, and I think I mean the grants it, with within themselves are designed to work, you know, mm -hmm. interlocked and to uh, play off off of each other and and benefit in that way. But in terms of the SBA grant, we are working with a vendor, uh, which is Better World uh, Telecom, and they're. Uh, doing business in the Virgin Islands as ConnectSpace.bi, mm -hmm. and they are charged with actual job creation uh, for us uh, in the territory vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, the creation of telework jobs and opportunities uh, that will actually utilize uh, the bandwidth once the fiber optic network is built. Mm -hmm. However, they've already started to um, uh, conduct training uh, education. They have boot camp uh, telework sessions, which they train people on how to get uh, telework opportunities. Mm -hmm. And moreover, they're actually setting up to provide those telework opportunities for the residents of the U.S. Virgin mm -hmm. Islands. So we're really excited about that. Matt Bauer and Jim Kenefick are the um, the uh, key leaders mm -hmm. of uh, ConnectSpace.vi, and they're doing a tremendous job in terms of job creation mm -hmm. uh, for us, for the INGN. So in this particular case, the um, you know there, there was a bit of a debate about would there be a lot of job creation, like directly, and I think everyone who had sort of the narrower vision looked at it and said, well, the job creation will just be you know people building the network, right? And everybody said, well, that's not a whole lot of jobs. Right. But it sounds like in your particular case, you guys got a handle on how to actually create jobs like yes. beyond the network build out. And I think and I think, you know, proof positive of that is that we actually went uh we got a vendor who actually has uh experience in this um sort of thing, uh job creation um in in data and IT. And um what one of the things that they have done uh is that they have opened two uh business hubs Mm -hmm. One of them in Frederickstead, St. Croix, and the other in St. Thomas. Mm -hmm. And what they're going to be doing there is they're going to create a virtual call center, mm -hmm. again, mm -hmm. using uh, utilizing the bandwidth uh, to uh, contract with uh, businesses that are in the states and basically have folks within the call center 
taking calls uh, for those businesses, which mm-hmm. are on the mainland uh, U.S. Wow. Uh, they In their business model, they also will be providing uh, video conferencing centers. They're going to be doing some uh, office uh, rental. So if you're an executive such as yourself coming down to the U.S. Virgin Islands, you need an, an office for a couple of days, you'll be able to rent one, uh, you know, with uh, a computer uh Internet access, of course, Mm -hmm. a desk, a phone, what have you, Wow! uh, via the hub. Mm -hmm. So that's all that you're getting in in that little package, and we're we're really pleased with all the good work that they're doing. So that's under the SBA project. Under the PCC project, wow, I got to tell you, you know, that is really the project that I think is getting a lot of attention and focus. And, And basically, it's because we're opening up these public computer centers. And what we've done is we've strategically uh, placed them in different areas within uh, all three of the U.S. Virgin Islands, and obviously going towards uh, areas where uh, our target demos are, Mm -hmm, uh, those mm -hmm. that are underserved and and, and what have you. Um, Thus far, we have opened seven. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have uh, an additional 23 computer centers that will be coming online uh, very soon, they have been uh, just equipped, and we're just basically waiting to give them the green light. So all total, we're going to have 33 public computer centers open uh, very soon mm-hmm. within the U.S. Virgin Islands. So we are very, very proud of that. And so will I be correct in saying that now you can, in essence, have a virtual loop in that you have um, – uh, a focus on job creation, you have training, you are targeting computing centers, which go along with that goes digital literacy Correct. so that you can train uh, you know, a greater part of the workforce. And yeah. then you have the infrastructure so that people at home or at work have the actual technology to use. You, you got it. And that's, you know, I, I love speaking with, with people you know, who who get how these grants interlock, and, mm-hmm. and you said it uh, beautifully there. And I want to just uh, go right back to the SBA program and something you touched on that triggered um, something I wanted to mention, which is uh, under the SBA grant, we're not just looking at just creating jobs, but we're also looking uh, at creating entrepreneurial opportunities for folks as well. Mm-hmm. So we want people to get excited about data and IT and create your own business. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't want you necessarily, you know, uh, just feeling like you have just one option where we're giving you a telework uh, job or, or helping you find that. No, if you have the desire to create your own business, we 100% encourage that and we want that. That's important. Now, under the PCC program, uh, you know, there's also an element of training, just like SBA. And as you referenced, that's where the digital literacy program comes in. Mm-hmm. So you receive the digital literacy training uh, within our PCCs. But then what we've also done is we've also placed the actual training online. So folks can go to www.vingn.com, mm-hmm. our website, and you can basically sign up for digital literacy training online in the comfort of your own home, mm-hmm. your business, mm-hmm. or on your smartphone. Okay. And we felt that it was okay to do that, that that wouldn't impact the traffic coming into the PCCs, mm-hmm. because we recognized that the traffic coming into the PCCs and, you know, folks who would be accessing, you know, in in their homes or elsewhere, it, it tends to be a different uh, user. 
Mm-hmm. The folks coming into the PCCs, we figuring, you know, nine times out of ten, those will be folks who, you know, do not have a computer at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we want to open the program up to everyone. So those who are at home, we want them to get the digi- digital literacy training as well. Mm-hmm. And with our program, once you sign up uh, for digital literacy, you take the training, you pass the course, you get a certificate from Potsdam University, the State University of New York, certifying that you are uh, digital uh, literate trained. Excellent. So it's a great program. So <clears throat> extrapolate that, if you will, if if there's a community that obviously there a lot of people didn't get grants and whatnot. Yes. How would you, in three minutes or less, no pressure, <laughs> suggest, like, what are the first steps for trying to tie these together? Because I think we have right now, you know, there's a focus on literacy. There's focuses on adoption. You know, and we're trying to get networks built, and Google's doing its thing. But it's, it's in essence, it's three separate things almost in the U.S. I mean, different people are working on different things. Yeah. How do you look at the full picture if you're a community and try to take that step forward to do the interlock to, to do the interlocking well i think as a best practice what what has worked for us is definitely by partnering and positioning ourselves with uh people who have the expertise in this field so we worked with better world uh, uh connectspace.vi on the sba program and on the uh digital literacy side we also worked with a, a vendor called cyber learning mm-hmm. and they are an an nef uh organization so I think as a best practice, you know, there's no need to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that this conference has shown is that there's plenty of folks out here who are willing to help. You just have to find people who have the expertise, go out and partner with them, and they can help advance your project, uh, you know, mm-hmm. thus far. And I think that's what we have seen, and that's why we have um, the success that we have achieved has been as a result of that. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you get the the provider to to play in that space, right? Because I had this discussion earlier today with some folks who talked about, um, you know, you, you start these open access networks, and it becomes an issue to get providers to play. And I and my response was, well, the providers aren't thinking about it the right way. Right, but there's a way that you need to rethink this whole business because it's very different than what they're used to. Sure. How do you get them to do that? Uh, The way that you do that, and and, you know, coming from my background, which is uh, the sales background, is to basically sell it as well. One, we're not here to compete with the ISPs. Mm -hmm. We they are, in fact, our biggest customers. So once I think you are able to get them to understand that a middle mile access uh, network means that you know we are here to provide wholesale bandwidth to you as an ISP. Mm-hmm. We are not here to compete with you on a retail end. Right. Those are your customers. Right. So you are my customer. The retail customers are yours. Right. And once that is established, then I think a lot of the fear and, and uh, animosity tends to um, be lessened. But don't you run into the issue of um, them not wanting to be, in, a, on a, in essence, on a level playing field? Yeah, I think um, there's a huge advantage to um, any middle mile provider when you look at the CAIs that mm-hmm. live on our network and the relationship that exists you know, between the middle mile provider and the CAIs. Mm-hmm. And 
the ISP is looking at that relationship and saying, hey, I want to make sure that I'm a part of that relationship mm-hmm. from a financial standpoint. Right. You. So, the, so the, the fear of being left out is greater than the fear to compete. Well, to an extent. I, I think it keeps everyone honest. Right. And I think that in, in business, you know, everyone wants to win. Right. And when you're able to create a win-win situation, everyone is happy. Mm-hmm. So what we've done is we've struck a, a happy medium in terms of providing the, the services that we want to provide uh, to our community, to those that need the training, that need jobs that need the education. And then on the business end, when the grants are done, you know, we've been planning in terms of how we maintain sustainability for the Virgin Isles Next Generation Network after the grant period is over. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, again, under our CEO, uh, our CEO's leadership and um, the good work of everyone on board, I think that um, we're, we're well on our way. So, so our story uh, today to you is a positive one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one that um, moving forward, I think you're going to be hearing a lot of uh, good, positive news coming from the U.S. Virgin Islands. And, and again, I want to invite you and your listeners to come down and visit America's Paradise. I cannot Saint turn Thomas, that down. St. Croix and St. John <laughs> and enjoy the beautiful beaches of uh, the U.S. Virgin Islands. So, ladies and gentlemen, you will hear this show someday, one day soon, from the islands, and yes, I will enjoy that show immensely. <laughs> We'd love to have you. Thank you very much for being a guest today, and we'll talk Thank again. You so much. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to this on another show. Very good. Excellent. Thank you. Have All a good rest of your day. Great. That was definitely an uplifting story, and not just because I get an opportunity to go to the Virgin Islands, but um, you know, the key thing is getting these uh, projects to work together because I do feel like. For a number of reasons, we have disjointed efforts at the local level and at the national level where we're trying to bring these things somehow into the same universe, the same orbit, and and clearly uh, the Virgin Islands with their project have found that one way to, to interlink those. So uh, we'll we'll get more on this as, as, the, as the months go on. All right, so next guest is going to talk about broadband life in the state of Utah which has suddenly been catapulted into the broadband news because of Google uh, deciding that they were going to spread their gigabit goodies uh, to Provo, Utah. However, there have been a number of other projects in the works in uh, in Utah. And here to talk about uh, those projects uh, from the Governor's Office of Economic Development is Tara Thuy, who will, uh, she's the manager of um, Utah's broadband project, and I'm going to have you talk about all the good stuff that's going on in Utah in addition to Google. Great. So, Glad what, to be here. Hey, Thank you for having me. No worries. So, in a nutshell, what were the stimulus projects or project that, that you guys received, and, and how's that been going? So, um The Governor's Office of Economic Development is involved in the state broadband mapping and planning um, initiatives. So there are similar efforts going on in all states. So we uh, work directly with broadband providers who have services within the state of Utah to Mm -hmm. gather data regarding broadband availability. And we do all of the verification and validation of that data through our partner, the Utah Department of Technology Services Automated Geographic Reference Center, and they're sort of the GIS office for the state of Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So we work very closely with that office to gather the data from providers to make sure that it's accurate to the best of our ability and mm -hmm. uh, work with the providers also to make sure that they're aware of issues we see with their data or just, you know, get it in the best possible uh, position that we can and then we submit that data to the NTIA and FCC for inclusion in the national broadband map. So that's one half of our project. Mm -hmm. The other half of our project is broadband planning. So uh, we've been going strong for about three years now. We've established the Utah Broadband Advisory Council. Now, which, this is, this yeah, is, this sure. is planning at the local level, right? At the state level. So you're doing a state plan? Yes. Got it, okay. So uh, we've brought together a number of different stakeholders who all play a role in the broadband landscape in Utah. Mm -hmm. um, we work with telehealth. We work with the Utah Education Network. Mm -hmm. We work really closely with our Department of Transportation, who's uh, you know, really been a leader nationally in terms of uh, providing uh, communications access to uh, through easements and rights away and open mm -hmm. road projects, um, we we work with all uh, you know different stakeholders at the table, and including broadband providers, which has been um, you know interesting and I think very meaningful to have providers involved mm -hmm. in, in the conversation. Um, and, you know, and not to mention you know, uh, rural entities that are also involved with the advisory council. Um, something we are doing coming up this year is regional broadband planning. So although we focus on planning at the state level, uh, the regional broadband planning initiative will focus on planning at a more local level. So we're going to be working with our seven associations of government, and those are sort of groupings of counties there are 29 counties in Utah, mm -hmm. divided into seven associations of government. So we can address planning issues at the more local level. A lot, something a lot of people don't realize about Utah is that we're a very urban state. You know, I mean, for being a big, wide-open Western state, <laughs> uh, we have a very urban population. About oh. 80 percent of our pop, of our entire population lives within 20 percent of the geography of our state along the Wasatch Front. Wow. So we have, you know, 80 percent of the state with only 20 percent of the population. Mm -hmm. So we have really unique rural and remote issues along with urban issues and so we feel like the regional planning initiative is going to go a long way to sort of address um, issues that are different around different parts of the state. Mm -hmm. So we're really looking forward to the next year. Um, you know, one thing I should mention, um, we were not a BTOP recipient, mm -hmm. so we do not, uh, we aren't responsible for any build out, okay. although we work with the state's uh, BTOP and BIP recipients. So there were some of those in the state yes, as well. Okay. Yes. All right. Now, what is the intersect? Is that you do the planning to help the builders? The builders do what gather data to help the mapping? I mean, how do you interact well, there? Um, we work with our BTOP recipients mainly um, on the data side. If we can be of assistance to them, uh, you know, we work with them that way. But more important. Our role, more importantly, I guess I should say, is as a convener, right? Mm -hmm. We bring different stakeholders to the table. We, um, you know, uh, employ the community and institution model in Utah. A lot of our rural areas are served because of partnerships uh, with the Utah Education Network, for mm -hmm. example, and uh, and private providers that the. the um, Utah Education Network will use E-rate funding 
and provide, you know, a gigabit connection to uh, schools in Utah. And most schools in Utah do have a gigabit connection. Um, they will provide that access and they contract with private providers. So that provider is able to serve a high-cost, hard-to-serve area mm -hmm. through that E-rate connection that they've utilized, but then they're also able to serve the surrounding community. So, um, you know, we like to see things like that happen. We feel like putting people and putting competitors even in the same room together has, you know, got a lot done in, tr in terms of forming partnerships and getting, uh, you know, the business of broadband. <laughs> ah, yes. Utah. Uh -huh. Okay. So let's talk about the this, this latest development. I know it doesn't have a direct impact, I would imagine, but from your perspective, since you you know are in touch with all aspects of, of the state on this, what is the effect of the um, the Google announcement? Is this going to be an additional catalyst? Is this going to make Provo suddenly a lead uh, player in the in the in the dynamic of things? What, what do you see happening in Utah as a result? Well, you know, we're really excited about the Google announcement in Utah. So I, I work in the governor's office of economic development, like you mentioned, mm -hmm. and something that we are very focused on in that office is the recruitment and expansion and retention of business for the state of Utah. And, you know, we've known for a long time that Utah is a destination for tech businesses, right? Mm -hmm. uh, huge expansion just north of Provo from Adobe, mm -hmm. um, a, a brand new big campus, a lot of jobs. Uh, we're really excited about that. We've seen other tech companies moving to Utah. We've also ha always been a place that fosters uh, tech startups, mm -hmm. and a lot of those startups come from the Provo area, Utah County. Okay. So it's sort of something we've always known, and it's nice to sort of see that validated by the Google announcement. Mm -hmm. um, you know, everybody knows Google has a model, maybe, and uh, looks for a certain type of city, and we're glad that we're seeing We've basically mm -hmm. got the stamp of approval, right, <laughs> for tech, tech business and a tech-oriented community. I mean, we have a population that demands broadband and demands high-capacity broadband. Uh, we're number one in the nation for home broadband adoption, and that's according to census data. Mm -hmm. We also have the youngest population age-wise in the nation. Um, and so we really think our state is a perfect home for uh, this sort of Google experiment, I mm -hmm. guess, mm -hmm. and we're excited to see what comes out of it in terms of utilization. Mm -hmm. Will um, do you think that the Google announcement will? Um, you know, I just wrote this article um, last week about you know local communities finding their own Google, finding you know a, a, mm -hmm. a business who will benefit by having the broadband there mm -hmm. that can maybe be the one that will help build out the the infrastructure or finance the infrastructure build out. Is it possible that some mini Googles might pop up in some of the areas of uh, Utah? Well, absolutely. I mean, we're we're not new in the state of Utah to the business of fiber to the home. Right. I mean, we have several providers already who are providing um, fiber to the home, fiber to the premises, um, and it's a model that we've seen work in some areas and mm -hmm. one that struggles in other areas. Mm -hmm. But um, I. I, I will be interested to follow this and see what happens. I mean, like I said, we foster innovation. We have a lot of tech startups. I can't imagine that we won't see something big come from, um, you know, smaller entities. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so I, I, I'm excited to see what happens with it. And mm -hmm. I, I bet you're right. I bet we will see something exciting happen in Utah. Excellent. Was that a surprise? I know you were in Dallas when the announcement came out and it became like this buzz and then boom, you know, came the announcement at lunchtime. But uh, were, were you surprised or were you privy to this whole thing as, as the negotiations were going along? Well, I don't. I don't know if I can say one way or another that it was a complete surprise. I mm -hmm. mean, we we certainly hoped to be a Google Fiber City, and a number of Utah cities applied. Mm -hmm. And you know, like I said, I think that we're a great place for tech business, and I think Google fits the Utah model. And mm -hmm. uh, so, from that sense, it wasn't a surprise. You know, we mm -hmm. we hoped for something like this. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, we're excited to see it go forward. Interesting. This is going to be, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure an interesting ride. Of the of the two broadband projects that you do have, that you yourself are directly involved in, what would you consider to be the big win of either or or both of those? Sure. So uh, the the initiative that I direct for the state, um, we, I would I would say maybe our biggest success has been the open sharing of data. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, broadband data, broadband availability data has been very hard to reach because of the way that broadband and different delivery methods of broadband mm -hmm. of internet access are regulated. Mm -hmm. And there's never been a central repository for that sort of, um, you know, access data. So I would say that our, our biggest win would probably be making that available, that data available to whomever wants to use it. Um, we've seen several projects go into underserved areas in Utah over the past three years, and we'd like to think that a lot of that has to do with providers sort of seeing, uh, you know, an opening, seeing an opportunity to go into areas that are underserved because we have, you know, consumers in Utah that demand higher capacity and more robust services. Mm -hmm. So I would say that's our biggest win is increasing competition, um, through, you know, the the uh, availability of this data. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And and bringing stakeholders to the table. I mean, it's not often that you see a competitor, uh, you know, <laughs> sit down across from the table from one another and you know really come to an understanding and support the same initiative. And we've really seen that in Utah. Mm -hmm. So last uh, question. It'll actually be a little bit of a riff on the question to uh, Kevin for you, how do you get them past what is seen as this intransigence, this inability or unwillingness of incumbents to work with each other, you know, like on open access networks or on projects or what have you, how did you get them past all that? You know, that's a good question. Uh, there are some providers that I don't think will get there. Okay. They have a proprietary network. They have a model. They, you know, they have their model. Mm-hmm. I don't know if those types of providers with that sort of mindset will ever get to the next level. Mm -hmm. But there are providers who are willing to work together, willing to make deals happen. And, uh, uh, you know, the, you can't force anybody, right? Mm -hmm. You can't force people to work together. But where we do see it happen, um, we think that it's very productive, especially uh, when it promotes better access and uh, better adoption efforts. At the mm -hmm. local level. Hmm. Okay. Now, are your networks? Do you have a lot of networks that are open access in uh, uh, in Utah? 
Is that a big drive? I mean, I know there's a Utopia project. There was, uh, you know, the Provo project before it kind of went where it went. But um, are there any other open access types of projects? Well, I mean, I think compared to other states, we have, you know, more networks in Utah mm -hmm. that are open access, the ones you just mentioned, um, than in other states. And uh, do I see more coming down the road? Probably not, because, uh, you know, there are political realities, <laughs> especially at the state level, mm -hmm. in terms of where the politics have gone about open networks um, that I don't think are very friendly to uh, the creation of new open networks within the state mm -hmm. uh, at this time. Right. You know, but it'll be interesting, like we were talking about earlier, to see where Google goes mm -hmm. and if that's sort of a model that uh, takes hold, and we, we hope they have more cities. I'd love to see Google do a rural city. <laughs> Talk about nice. a game changer. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have fiber in some rural areas in the state to the home. Mm -hmm. um, what what better uh, acknowledgement of sort of, a, you know, a The validity real, of all this stuff. Exactly, right. exactly. I'd love to see them do a rural project. Okay, excellent. Well, I'm going to let you go. Uh, there's more conference stuff going on, yep. and I will see you on the floor. Uh, thank you very much for stopping by. Thank I really you. appreciate it. And I do expect to get you guys back for a longer interview. We can talk about some of the other uh, things that are going on and maybe get a little progress report on uh, Provo. And if you want to invite me to the state, even though I won't be the <laughs> island, I'll still be happy to come by. Well, in the winter you can ski, and the summer you can go to all of our national parks. Hot diggity. Yes. I'm on it. <laughs> okay, great. Hey, have a great day. Thank you. You're welcome. Excellent, excellent. So there is another story of, um, you know, the possibility that we might start seeing increases of uh, providers uh, working together as opposed to having this constant sort of, uh, you know, negativity in terms of how a lot of these, these projects and these initiatives are either supported or not. Um, and I think that's going to be a definite, uh, definite good thing. We are going to move to, um, I'll call it a wrap of the, of, of the conference, uh, if you will, to, to look at maybe some of the big picture issues with the broadband stimulus and what this has, uh, has achieved. Um, the next, uh, our next guest is not a uh, stranger to broadband in the U.S. and, in fact, has been really working hard in the state of North Carolina broadband initiatives, and a number of those initiatives and, and best practices have been uh, adopted by other, uh, by other communities, and I think that, uh, you know, there's a lot more that we will see, even with the regressive uh, law that just got passed, I think we'll still see some good things coming out of the, the work that has been done in, in North Carolina uh, by, uh, among other people, our next guest, who is... Jane Smith-Patterson, who is uh, the president of Rural Telecom Congress America. And, uh, Jane, we have known each other for a while. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to have you on my show. Thank you very much for stopping by. I'm delighted to be here. Great, great. Let's talk about um, 
because you're right now you're you're no longer doing the the ENC authority uh, right. work. It's, it's now within the Department of Commerce mm-hmm. in North Carolina. But you are familiar, obviously, with lots that's going on with the uh, stimulus, and basically, the, the, yesterday, today, and tomorrow is where a lot of these folks involved with these stimulus projects are coming together, have come together. What's the mood of the of the group? Do they, you know, is there a feeling of great success? Is there a feeling that maybe we have a lot more to do? How, how would you, you know, grade this, uh, you know, this midterm gathering, if you will? I think I would say it's a great start, mm-hmm. but there is uh, more to do. Okay. Um, for the country, uh, particularly if the country um, we want to be um, leading um, the world rather than being, you know, back in uh, anywhere, depending on whose uh, report you read from 15th to 24th place, um, and what that means for all the citizens out there who are really listening is uh, it means that it puts us behind in terms of the economic marketplace mm-hmm. as a country. Um, and it also puts us behind in terms of education mm-hmm. um, for our students to learn, you know, at home as well as at school and to be able to leave school and go home and continue learning. And it puts us behind in terms of getting to about 100 million citizens in terms of hospital services online mm-hmm. and doctor services online. Um, we've come a long way. Um, I think President Obama's... Um, you know, talked about that by 2016 that we would have advanced wireless across the country. Mm -hmm. And I think we're getting there. Um, We could possibly make that. Mm -hmm. Um, But we still have, as I said, at this point, about 100 million Americans who who do not have access. Mm -hmm. What's important, I think, Craig, is that people need to understand that you will hear, you know, well, we have wireless across all of your state. Mm-hmm. And, um, and maybe two companies have, uh, but it's PCS wireless. Mm-hmm. It's so uh, it is not, uh, the, you know, it's the kind of wireless that if you have uh, adequate receivers and if you are near towers, you might be able to get a similar access that you could get at home uh, with regular wireline, but not with fiber. Mm-hmm. And um, and that is what I think people out there don't understand when they think, oh, I'm going to go buy myself a cell phone and I'm going to be able to go out and do interactive learning. Mm-hmm. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck. So. so there's still some realities that need to be addressed. Yes. Um, what do you think is the biggest reality check we need or, you know, the general public maybe needs? The biggest, I think, reality check is to realize that uh, we need to do something, I think, um, about the country in terms of the FCC needs to take some stands about more open access networks. Mm-hmm. I think it needs to come back and um, take the program for um, the persons who are challenged economically and, and make you know less than twenty five thousand a year. Um, it needs to look at that lifeline program it's had and convert it over. To uh, that's where you get your phone uh, mm-hmm. for a certain price each month, uh, um, and you can afford to pay it. I mean, it's a, it's not that high. It depends on the state you're in, but in our state, that phone service would be around seven dollars and a half a month. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you can ultimately move up to broadband and make that a broadband and access to that because 
these citizens have the same requirements for education, for healthcare, for you know economic activity across the internet than folks do who are making fifty thousand or seventy five thousand, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and that's critical. I think that's a critical thing for the FCC to do. Mm-hmm. And so that's a very important thing. And the other is more open access networks and allowing the spectrum that's out there mm-hmm. not to be sold off to companies to be able to be in the public um, reign around, I would say. Mm-hmm. So. so let's uh, dip our toe into the political water here just a little bit. Um, it is rumored that Tom Wheeler is likely to be the next FCC chair. And he is a lobbyist, has been one for a long time. Okay. Um, But do you think that he, either based on, I don't know, uh, experience or, you know, just general disposition or whatever, is he the kind of person that would fight for open access network? Well, he said that he is in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's very interesting that... Um, I saw that the Wall Street Journal today had an article about he would be named, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, other folks, New York Times, I'm sure I haven't seen it today, but I'm sure it probably says the same thing. Um, and I also saw that um, that Susan Crawford had supported him and endorsed his nomination. Uh, yes, I read, I read that. And I saw place. that he was also endorsed by uh, one of the um, private sector um, companies, spokesperson. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, gee, this is really interesting. <laughs> this is going to be very interesting. So hopefully, uh, you know, he will be very good uh, for this because I think that um, this is somewhat our last shot over these next two to three yep. to four years, in my opinion, in terms of really getting the United States back up to where we were originally right. when the Internet was was discovered by the U.S. <laughs> and we were number one. Mm-hmm. Number one. Mm-hmm. Um but now we've fallen down to there's no reason that a country with all of our resources can't make certain that broadband access and availability and the ability to um you know have programs that help you afford this if you can't should be a right mm-hmm. I think it's a right, just like no one would be opposed to no one would create a subdivision and say we're not putting electricity there mm-hmm. and um I don't think anyone, like in the the town that I live in, in Raleigh, which is the big high-tech area, mm-hmm. I know that when, um, when I'm going to get political here, but when Jesse Helms no, no, was the United States Senator, <laughs> it came out that Jesse Helms owned, I don't know how many, 25, 35 houses, wow. and that he rented and had no no heat. And so one of our state senators, who actually was the founder of the Rural Internet Access Authority statute, mm-hmm. Eric Rees, the state senator, was in the ha- in the uh, city council then in Raleigh, and he got a bill passed that said no house in the city of Raleigh, regardless of what it's rented for, can not have heat in it. Right. So when you think about broadband, broadband in our state, in 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 the studies we did in North Carolina three years ago, in our state, thirty. Two percent of our households that were, um, you know, on the internet in rural areas, predominantly um, higher than in urban areas, said we are actually using this to add to our household income. Mm-hmm. And the household income, another fourteen percent said we're going to start a company or something out of our household. Mm-hmm. So if you look at that, you're up to about 47% that are using the internet to bring more money into their household and they're living in rural areas. 
Mm-hmm. So it's really important that, uh, you know, for the economy that everyone have access to that as well. Hmm. Interesting. Now, do you think, reverting back, or reverting back to an earlier comment about, um, uh, you know, where we are and our standing and so forth, do you think there is a will or even an awareness to drive the will by, call it the average Person, the average local government folk, to to rise up and toward better broadband. Like maybe using the the space program as an example. I mean, not everybody was out building you know moon rockets for NASA, but there was a U.S. feeling of you know there was ownership of of the NASA program. We wanted to go into space. That was I mean I was I was a kid then, but I mean it was pervade. I mean people were had bought into it as a country. Will we get that with broadband? Well, do you recall, you know, at that time we had the, um, Russia was the communist uh, Russia. Yes, and, and the heathen and it, communists had gotten into space got first. Into space. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, John Kennedy said we will shoot for the moon and mm-hmm. um, and get there. And I think everybody in the U.S. sort of, you know, you know, gathered together around that and said, yep, we're going to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, But with the Internet, um you know, it's very interesting. You can say, there's the moon, I see it, and we're going to go there. I'm not sure how we're going to do it. But here we're talking about, and you had the government driving straight towards that. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the private sector, although the government was actually going out and bidding a lot of this, as, as uh, John Glenn said when he you know, went around the earth, he said he was so glad to look down at the uh, city of Perth and all the lights were on in the um, street, they turned them on for it, and realized that I'm, I am circumventing the earth and everything in here was a low bid. Yes. <laughs> so, it's surreal. So I think, I think that uh, even though... So originally with the internet, it was used by the universities mm-hmm. as who used it, and it was uh, hard to understand until web browsers were developed. Okay, and then it became easy to understand. Um, but and then the private sector began to get involved, which it had not been before, and so it really was supported and developed by the government. And the private sector then sort of took it over, mm-hmm. and that took away the drive by the government to get it to citizens. Ah, okay? right. That's what I'm driving at. Mm-hmm. So I think now that with the NTIA and the broadband stimulus program and President Obama, because there's no doubt that that Clinton and Gore with the National Information Infrastructure Advisory Council really drove this country to really to get the government, you know, actually involved in getting connected because in, in uh, basically in 1992, mm-hmm. when um, I went back into state government, I couldn't connect with the Department of Commerce chief scientist. Mm-hmm. I could connect in my state among our government. I couldn't connect to Washington. Mm-hmm. So it took Clinton and Gore to really push, and a major push, to get the government to get connected and start mm-hmm. with that, uh, to get the schools, make it, you know, the schools connected. At that time, less than 5% of the schools in the country or, you know, connected. So think about the push they made. Mm-hmm. And then even I think the Bush administration made a slightly push on this. But then when Obama came in, it was a big push mm-hmm. to move forward with this. And this stimulus program has been, you know, it's it's been, a, as I tell people, it's like if you grew up on farms if you didn't have fertilizer, you probably wouldn't have very good crops. <laughs> and this has been a fertilizer mm-hmm. to the whole arena of uh, communications technologies. 
mm-hmm. and the ability to move this out across the country um, and to get states and local communities all involved in going after grants to do this. Mm-hmm. And still, with all of this, we have laws, as I said to you earlier, that uh, regulations that don't necessarily get us where we need to be. Mm-hmm. And hopefully the new commissioner... That was kind of you. The SEC commissioner will uh, will do this. Now, in North Carolina, we certainly can see this because we, for five years, fought the initiative to turn the state uh, mm-hmm. uh, so that no municipality or, uh, you know, could, in fact, get into this. We... Um, and and the issue you have, and I just say it this way, uh, in the town of Salisbury, the mayor who was there uh, told this story, and she said this, I mean, flat out in the public. They desperately needed, they had a real problem in getting a redundant uh, technology and getting technology was fast enough for the mm-hmm. companies they wanted there. And she said, um, she called the major provider and said, we really want to step up to fiber. And they said to her, well, we're coming. And she said, well, you're coming. When are you coming? Well, um, we're not sure when we're coming, but we're coming. <laughs> and she kept asking that question. And in the town of Wilson, the same thing. Mm-hmm. And they kept saying to her, well, let's think, I mean, to, to the mayor of Wilson, let's talk about this. Let's talk about it. They kept negotiating, negotiating, two different providers. Mm-hmm. And finally, they said the same thing. We don't know when you're coming. You don't know what you plan to do. And at that point, they decided, both decided to move ahead and create fiber to the home. Mm-hmm. And ahead of their projections mm-hmm. of how many uh, families are, and businesses would be served. Mm-hmm. So you and, and recently, all the work we've done in North Carolina, we now have little towns and little you know going out and saying like in one in in um, county above the research triangle, the commissioner said we've got five hundred thousand dollars. They put out an RFP and said please bid on bringing the high-speed broadband to citizens that don't have it mm-hmm. in our county. Mm-hmm. And that bid has been, you know, out there on the streets now, and I think they had a couple of responses, but they haven't made a decision on which mm-hmm. way they're going to go. But you see commissioners in rural counties adjacent to cities mm-hmm. saying they're not coming here. We need to have this. Right. We're going to lose our, our kids who grew up here mm-hmm. into those cities, mm-hmm. and they're not going to be here if they can't get that access. Right. So let me ask this question in closing because I've got a role and I'm doing a session on broadband mapping in a, about 45 minutes, which should be an uh, interesting uh, take on uh, what's going on at the mapping level. But in the big picture, are there going to be uh, communities that take the reins in their own hands to move broadband forward and do this much more aggressively as a number of these broadband stimulus programs either come to completion or they run, you know, their 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 funding period ends. I think some will, but the one thing you have your program coming up, and I don't think it's any secret that yesterday um, the Assistant Secretary Strickland told the uh, participants in the State Broadband Initiatives uh, Conference, which was separate from mm-hmm. this one, that at the end of this program, there would be no more money for mapping and that that mapping would be taken over by the SEC. Oh, right. Okay. And then so what's going to be the, what's going to be the impact of that, do you think? Well, it's going to have a, I think, uh, the, well, first of all, I don't know how you could look into the future and say this is what will happen, but mm-hmm. I can only say to you that, uh, that one thing that will be an issue is that 
um, the states themselves say that our maps are somewhat different from the information that is gathered by the FCC. Mm -hmm. The national map is put together in combination now between the NTI and the FCC with data that has been collected in the states by state, uh, you know, authorities. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, um, the FCC will use their data, I guess it's on the 477 form, that'll be the data that they use, um, you know, to create the next map. Mm -hmm. um, now, will the states continue to do those maps? It's expensive, you know, right. without support, it's possible some will. I'd say probably, and I'd give a projection that this is probably 30%, if that will. Wow. And the issue you have that, uh, you know, now that it's possible, it'll then move to where counties will keep their own information on their maps, mm -hmm. and regions might do that, and, and you know, in, in light with the regional economic development organization. But the other information for the national map will be at, at the FCC. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, we we are going to have to uh, to wrap this one up. But I thank you for coming in. I do want to also, though, talk, get you back on the show to talk about the uh, research work, the sort of symposium that we did in December, because yeah. uh, there were a lot of uh, good people around the table that you, you know, you convened this uh, event. But there was a lot of insight on broadband and economic development, and I do want to talk about that. I uh, think that would be a really great conversation, and, I, and we do have the report. It's out now. Yes. And so I'd be glad to talk with you about that. But I just want to say one thing. Mm -hmm. Never doubt the willingness and the ability of the American people to step up when they realize that, you know, they need to have this information mm -hmm. and to hold accountable the FCC mm -hmm. for it, uh, you know, to work with, the countries, towns, and counties, and you know regions to make sure that citizens at all levels have access to broadband. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I thank you very much, Jane. I got to go lead a little session and get my thing together. Do you have another session to do, or are you done? No. You're done. Okay, fine. Well, thank you very, very much for for Thanks, being here. Great. I really appreciate it. You do a great job with all of this. So oh, thank impressive. you. Thank you very much. And to our audience, thank you once again for tuning in. Um, I have been keeping kind of a low profile. You may have noticed there have been very few shows these last few weeks. I am writing and finishing up my next book, which will be called uh, Building the Gigabit City. And this will be an e-book. should be coming out uh, over the weekend. We're putting all the finishing touches on it. And there will be more news, more details on this down the road. But you are definitely going to want to get a copy of the book, Building the Gigabit City. And with that, we're going to wrap Thank you very, very much for being here. Uh, look forward to having all of you folks back again on our next show. Take care. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.